0: Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today, I'm joined by one of our pastors at Christ Covenant, Ryan West, as we talk about the Reformation. What was it? Why is it important? And how does the church need to continue to reform? Ryan has long been a student of church history and has his Ph.D. in church history from Southern Seminary. In this conversation, we'll be talking about the events and thoughts of the Reformation from 500 years ago as we prepare for a larger conversation that we plan on having on Thursday night, November 16th, at The Spotted Cow. The Spotted Cow is a gathering of men where we eat meat, sit around a fire, and talk about culture and theology. On Thursday, our topic of conversation is a modern-day 95 theses. In light of the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation and the hanging of the 95 theses by Martin Luther on the Castle Church doors in Wittenberg, how does the church today need to be reformed? And how do we need to continue to reform? So thank you for joining us in this pre-conversation on the Reformation of the past, and I hope you can join us on Thursday night for a conversation about the Reformation of the future, as together we think through it. So one of the things about think through it, we want to help people, as we say in the intro, think about the things they need to be thinking about. And uh, we do that in, in a couple of different medium. One of the things is obviously your podcast that we're talking about right now. The other is the blog. But the other is this really cool live event uh, that I love. It, we call it the Spotted Cow. And Ryan has been to the Spotted Cow uh, many times. Yes, uh, I have. And
1: it is amazing. It's Ryan West, by the way. Because What did I call you? Ryan. Oh, but Ryan West, <laughs> let's think through who I am.
0: Uh, that, well, that's something we need to be thinking about. Yeah. That's the otherwise it. it's spotty. I mean,
1: there's multiple Ryan's. So. Yeah.
0: We don't want to just be Ryan. but Ryan West has been to the Spotted Cow and it's a fun event. Like if we say on the webpage, meet, fire, and deep theological conversation. Right. And uh, as a all, man, all men love that yeah, and I think we have a couple of hatchets there. I mean, there's a couple of other things men like too. There's rocks involved. so it's
1: it's ticks. like if you sit too close to the woods, you might get a tick. Well, I don't know, you know. if men love ticks, oh, okay. but
0: yeah, but it's a, a lot of stuff that men's love men love. <laughs> but um, but this week, I'm really excited about our conversation this week. We're talking about uh, a modern day. 95 theses. Uh, Of course, 500 years ago, Martin Luther pinned the 95 theses and hung it on the castle church doors in Wittenberg, and it started this whole massive movement that we call the Reformation now. But one of the things that Reformers said, uh, as you well know, is that we we should be always reforming. Um, And so... I think that this is a good question to ask right now. If we look at the state of the church and the global church right now, what is it that needs reformation? And, and I don't want us to do that uh, as some of like, we're sitting on this high and mighty seat, kind of speaking to the church. Um, that's one of the great things about being a pastor is we get to do what we need to be done, right? And so I want to be about the solution. I want to look at the Reformation and then say, okay, how, how are we going to pull that off at Christ's covenant? W- what needs to be reformed at Christ covenant? Uh, so I think it's a helpful conversation, and I'm really excited for men to come out on Thursday night. And if any of you are listening, you're, if you're in the Atlanta area, you are welcome to come and uh, have this conversation with us. Yeah, and
1: I, th- I think, uh, just to echo what you're saying, that, that man, the Spotted Cow is just an amazing opportunity for us to unpack uh social issues uh, like in this case uh, h- things from church history that should speak into the life of Christ's covenant in our lives today and these these kind of topics so man where else are you uh, do you have the opportunity to 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 have these kind of conversations uh, around meat and fire I That's mean, it's, right. it's a great combination so one thing I, I wanted to ask uh, of you just to start off this podcast is so you just got back from a tour. Because uh, it was the the uh, anniversary, the big anniversary celebration, five hundred, yeah, five hundred. It was years. October thirty
0: first, just you know, a couple weeks ago. Yeah,
1: and so you had the blessing to go and actually participate in these things. So, what are some of the things you experienced there, as well as uh, some of the things you you felt like you bring back? that yeah. we need to be thinking about. Well,
0: and maybe one of the things that we want to talk about. So, I can kind of maybe talk about all this at once. Is even the term Reformation? Like, what are we talking about? when we say that. And so, um, of course, you know, just to give you like a really, 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 really brief church history synopsis, um, of course, you, you have in the church the establishment of the church uh, as Jesus establishes his church, and there's an apostolic period where the, the, the apostles who were called to establish the church by Jesus uh, were leading and establishing a church. And, um, you know, of course, the church goes forward. A massive thing happens in the fourth century where the church that had been basically underground uh, for the first three centuries or so came, came out and was not only legal in the Roman Empire, but uh, eventually became the preferred belief system of the Roman Empire. Yeah, it was endorsed by the emperor. Endorsed by the emperor, yeah. And, uh, and so the church, again, there's a lot of history in there, but the church is, is pretty well unified uh, until uh, uh, for about a thousand years, and then the church splits. You have the East Church, you have the Western Church, um, and the Eastern Church have, has become, of course, the Russian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church. I mean, they, they've had some splits. Uh, but the Western Church is what today we kind of think of as either the Protestant Church or the Roman Catholic Church. So for about 500 years, the church was unified from Rome, um, but there was some issues. There was some big issues that the church had um, leading into the Reformation. So the century before, th- there was all of these times, or even more than the century before, There's all these times where they didn't even know where the papacy was supposed to be. You know, there was, the papacy was in Rome, the, pa- the, spa- the papacy was in Avignon, France, there was uh, two popes at one point, there was three popes at one point, uh, and, uh, and there was a lot of other abuses during the church. There was some pre-reformers that were speaking uh, during this time. Uh, you know, Famously, uh, there was a, a guy named Wycliffe, John Wycliffe in England, who wanted the scripture to be in English so that people could read it. He wanted to empower the people with the Word of God. The church didn't like that, and uh, Wycliffe um, was was named a heretic and anathema. There was a guy named John Huss a little bit later who kind of fell into Wycliffe's thought, uh, and then he was burned at the stake. His ashes were thrown into the river. It's interesting, John Huss was, as he was killed, it, it said, okay, one day in the New Jerusalem we'll, we'll know if this is true or not, but it said John Huss was known as the Goose, And it is said that right before John Huss was burned, or as, you know, flames were coming up, he said, you may cook this goose, but in a hundred years, a swan will come who you will not be able to stop. And of course, Huss was burned in 1415. Luther started the Reformation in 1570. So he was off by two years, but he was close. He was close. And
1: whether it's true or not, it's a great story.
0: It's an amazing story. And so, of course, um, uh, one, of the, one of the things that happened that is kind of interesting between Huss and Luther was uh, another guy, a German guy named Gutenberg, uh, Johannes Gutenberg. Invented what we call the printing press, movable type press. Basically, you're able to finally print documents. It was more efficient to print documents by a press than by than copying them by hand. This is interesting. It before Gutenberg, it took three years for someone to make a copy of the Bible. Of the Bible, yeah. Think about that. And then you know, in Gutenberg's like first three years after the printing press, he printed. I mean, this is not gonna be gonna seem amazing because we print things so fast today, but he printed 300 copies in three years. Uh, And uh, so people were just blown away, obviously, and obviously that got information, that got uh, Bibles um, so much more accessible than they had been in the past. Well, then uh, in in Rome, there was, uh, in the early 16th century, there was a pope, Pope Leo X and he had this grand vision to build the Basilica, St. Peter's Basilica, still there today, and he wanted to build it in his lifetime. Now, coincidentally, the St. Peter's Basilica was not completed until 1626. He died in 1521, so he he didn't pull that off, but he he wanted to raise a lot of money for it, and so he started selling indulgences. Indulgences uh, were basically a deed. It was basically a document from the Pope that said, uh, your sin has been paid for. Uh, meanwhile, there's this guy in Wittenberg preaching away, and he notices that people aren't coming to the confession booth anymore. And so he's like, "Well, why aren't people coming? It's because no one is repenting. No one feels bad for their sin. They feel like they don't have to because they have the piece of paper." And um, and that was Martin Luther. And he the the initial document. I mean, you've read the Ninety Five Theses. Right. It it. I remember like when I first heard of it I thought it was this like great outline of reformational theology. It's not that. It's really just a statement about repentance and the abuse of indulgences. So that's what got us into this thing and of course from there you know the world was changed and the church continued to reform and and is to this day continuing to reform
1: yeah and they and ultimately through the Reformation, uh, certain questions were it, it was like you're saying with the printing press, the time was just right for certain uh, changes to happen in church history, which have really had implications for uh, human history around the world. I mean it's it's pretty amazing as you have made the the scriptures available to uh, the masses, like you were saying, 300 copies a year, and I mean, that's only exponentially grown since then, that you make the Word of God available, and Martin Luther and the other Reformers really put down some certain principles that have guided the the Protestant church in a very specific way, which we as Baptists would fall into that Protestant heritage.
0: That's right, yeah, and I, you know one of the things that Ryan and I were talking earlier before we got on here is just the idea of Authority, you know who has authority, who can grant authority, and that's a question that I think we're still asking, and that the church is still asking. But what the reformers really said that was that was, uh, I think, kind of revolutionary at the time was that that scripture alone has authority, right? And so the pope can't just like say, "Ah, we're going to have indulgences, and now you don't have to repent or do anything." He didn't even have authority to do that. And I think that's what Martin Luther was saying in the 95 Theses is like, this is illegitimate. You, you He can't just make this up to make money for St. Peter's Basilica. And he speaks specifically about that in uh, in the 95 Theses. Yeah,
1: and it's—so for me, so, uh, you know, I used to teach uh, a Western Civ class and, and just ancient Near Eastern history. It's always been interesting to me, this question of epistemology and who has— uh, revelation from God, and then thus, th- thus they have that authority to speak on behalf of God. And it's really interesting just how people have used religion to, to push their own ends and really abuse other people throughout human history. Well, the, the Reformers really set down a new uh, path to epistemology, religious epistemology, who has authority to speak on behalf of God, and that comes back to the Word of God, Which they were making available to the masses. So ultimately, what we'll say in 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 our Baptist stream of thought is that the Bible is the final authority of all right belief about God and how we should and and right practice or how we should carry out worship and our daily lives. It's not someone in uh, Rome making making up things, speaking on behalf of God. Ex ex cathedra. That's right. Yeah. But it really is the Word of God that's the test of all things.
0: And of course, you know, if somebody, I hear this all the time, people are like, ah, you know, we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. Well, we believe that the Bible is the Word of Jesus, right? So the reason that we give the, the Scriptures this high place, the reason of solo scriptura, is that this is how Jesus is speaking to us. This is how Jesus has revealed himself to us in this assured way. Um, and so we have confidence that we are hearing the word of Christ in the scriptures that he has given his church. And, um, you know, of course, uh, the Reformers went on uh, from that to, to specify some other things. But, but kind of in all of the Reformation, we can talk about those, but in all of the Reformation movement, the interesting thing about it is that it's holding the scripture high and it's holding individuals low, mm. And whereas I think if you kind of look at what was going on at the church, at least at that time, it was holding individuals high, uh, the papacy, et cetera, and holding the scriptures low. Yeah. And so I think that was the Reformation. It was a reverse of word of Christ and individual authority. And I think that maybe what, you know, one abuse that I see in the church today is when individuals want to claim, you know, more authority than they probably have uh, to speak into something or to say something I think I think the reformers if you say gave us a pathway that was a that's a pretty good rule of thumb for us hold the scripture high stay humble
1: yeah yeah and it's and it's almost we I, I mean one thing we may talk about on Thursday night but I I see a bit of a reversal of of that trend going back to a pre-reformation, uh, culture in christianity where we hold individuals incredibly high to where people speak on behalf of god and people flock to conferences where they're speaking or flock you know people will drive three hours just to go to their church just so they could they could hear that person preach and and yes that person may be you know you know better at delivery or something like that but but um when you really dig down into root of why do you why do you do that? And what's so special about hearing person X, Y or Z speak? Because we hold individuals so high in American Christianity uh, and the word of God so low, can the word of God speak through a, you know, no name preacher or, yeah. or through your mom or whatever? You know, it's it's uh, the power of the word of God really is a primary emphasis of the reformers and we've kind of flipped that back on its head nowadays and i see that as a as a pretty pretty serious problem
0: you know one of the things that a big takeaway going back to the trip for me a big takeaway now obviously you know luther's books were were being uh you know published all throughout the world um or at least europe at the time um his influence was spreading so i'm not don't hear what i'm saying wrongly but So, of course, we recognize that. But I think one of the things, and, you know, Luther had some of his own problems, but I think one of the things that kept him and some of these other Reformers pretty well grounded is that they were doing ministry in a local context the whole time. Right. Um, And that was something that really struck me. I mean, being in Wittenberg, kind of where Luther lived and where most of his work took place, it was just a little town. There was the church. He would go down to the church. He would preach. You know, Philip Melanchthon, who— was, you know, a really good friend of his and critical to the Reformation, critical to all this, certainly the translation work that Luther was doing at the time. He lived like two doors down. I mean, these were just people living in a community... Uh, doing their thing within the community. There were students in Luther's house all the time. You know, Luther's wife, Katie, uh, was, you know, one of the things uh, that, you know, it's kind of interesting. She was really good at brewing beer, and so people would were always coming over to Luther's house to drink beer because they liked the, their beer. And so the, the point is, is, like, there was so much access. There was so much access to their community and to their place um, which, you know, obviously Luther was famous. I mean, Luther was famous because God was using him in a big way, and that's going to happen, right? People are going to be famous, but I think the thing that keeps individuals grounded to where they can keep doing what we just said, keep the Scripture high, the Word of Christ high, and the individual low, is just being local. It's being in a place, being in a community. Um, you know, one, one of the, uh, you know, this guy's you know, like super famous, but... You know, he's written a lot of great books. People admire him. You know, Mark Dever, uh, who I know both you and I know. And uh, one time I was at a thing and Mark was asking, you know, how do you keep from being, you know, full of yourself? Like, how do you keep from ego taking over? And uh, Mark just said, well, <laughs> I pastor a local church, right? And, and, and if you watch Mark uh, at Capitol Hill Baptist, for example, where he is, he is, uh, I mean, he's just He's like the normal pastor. Like he says goodbye to the people in the back doors, they're leaving. I mean, there's no like celebrity about that. You know, people have his phone number, people have his email. There's no like, you know, uh, uh, security around him or whatever. And I'm not saying that there's no place for that in any context, but I do think that is certainly in Luther's case, I'll just, I'll bring it back to Luther, you know, what kept, what made that movement of the Reformation so... Palatable. It's so local, is that that's exactly what it was. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and I think uh, just a a few other things for us to think about as we're getting ready for the Spotted Cow uh, this week is is righteousness. I know another, you know, one of the solas. I mean, where does our righteousness come from? And and I think that's a huge issue in our culture as well. Is uh, you know whether it's trying to be uh, good morally. I mean, you know would anybody come to Luther's house to, to drink, his, drink his beer nowadays or whether it's, you know, something like that or, or, you know, making sure that you're serving the church in enough hours of your right, week yeah. or, or whatever it is that you're basing your righteousness on. Is it Christ alone? You know, is it Christ alone? And, and really test ourselves. Do we base our righteousness on Christ alone? Obviously, that doesn't lead to licentiousness. Obviously, that doesn't lead to us sinning about clear commandments uh, sure. from the Lord in Scripture. But again, going back to Scripture, what does Scripture say that is the basis of our righteousness and and how we live in a way that pleases the Lord? Um, and and so the the basis of our righteousness is another huge issue uh, that that people. Uh, deal with today I was we just had um, someone over our dinner recently a member of uh, a Roman Catholic Church and talking through the issue of righteousness and, Mm. and it's not based on your standing in the Roman Catholic Church and your membership in the Roman Catholic Church it's based on you're standing in Christ and, and, but we, we have different expressions of that in the Baptist tradition that we base our righteousness on other things.
0: Well, and I think that it gets back to the old principle, right? It's, it's holding Christ high and yourself low. So self-justification, self-righteousness is never the way of Christianity. Um, It, it, it is always, um, our righteousness is a response to the gospel. Uh, not a means by which salvation comes. to us. I was looking for this. There's this old Belgic confession. This is a 16th century confession. This is all same time period. But uh, it says, Far from making people cold toward living in a pious and holy way, justifying faith, so justification through faith alone, not through our deeds, justifying faith, quite to the contrary, so works within them that apart from it, They will never do a thing out of a love for God, but only out of a love for themselves and fear of being condemned. Mm. And so I think a lot of people like look at justification by faith alone. What Luther was saying is, and well, what of good deeds now? And I love this what this confession is saying is, no, actually now and only now can you actually do a good deed. And it not be motivated primarily by your love for yourself and your fear of condemnation.
1: Yeah, and it, and it really does. become I mean, I've I've you know, I even you know recently f- feel myself struggling for justification by my works or trying to be a right. good person or, or or trying to serve at Christ's covenant, and it and it uh, becomes a point of righteousness in my mind. Contrasted with when I have that perspective, like you're saying. That any act of service or missions or anything that I do then truly is a an act of worship before the Lord and you feel the presence of the Lord in the midst of that it's it's just a completely different experience because it's a completely different foundation from which you do that and a completely different end for which you do that
0: well and that was is so interesting about Luther's life you know so before Luther became went to Wittenberg Wittenberg he was a monk, or he, he still was a monk, but he, he was a monk in a monastery in a town called Erfurt. And we went to that monastery. And Luther, uh, so one of the things that was interesting is, you know, these are all monks. They're all living, they're they're living their poverty, you know, they're studying, they're praying all day long. They have like the regular monastic kind of order of the day. But Luther was like the super monk. So, for example, I mean, it's cold in Germany. And we were there in October. And it was cold and, uh, you know, something I don't even want to think about what it was in January or whatever. But Luther, they would offer them like a sheep's blanket, a sheep's wool blanket, and you would sleep on a cold stone or a, a little straw on the stone. And uh, but Luther refused the, the sheep blanket because he wanted to like do more for the Lord. And uh, it's interesting if you look at pictures of Luther, There's, like, the early pictures, and he's just, like, skin and bone, thin. He's not eating. And then, of course, like, later on, you know, he's kind of chubby. Now, again, I'm not trying to make a case for poor eating, but he found that freedom in Christ. He wasn't trying to impress everyone around him. And it was interesting. At the monastery, people didn't like Luther because he was so full of himself, so full of self-righteousness. Uh, that that there wasn't warmth and love in his heart, and I, I think that can yeah that's a big thing that's always been the case in the church,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. He was told at one point to, uh, in confessional to to come back when you really have a sin to confess.
0: Yeah. in fact, yeah. I think the priest said to him, "Go burn a village, you know, uh-huh. go do something that's worth that's worthy of confession. really confession." But you know, a it was it was it was Luther's sense of how can I be holy before God which is also something that I think has been lost. You know, one of the things that we talked about yesterday in the sermon was, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." I don't think we're preaching Christ in, a, in the fear way enough to really understand the relief way um, but Luther got both, I think.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that's that's one thing I always say is the the gospel speaks differently to different people's heart issues. So some people may be trying to base their uh, righteousness before God based on their acts. Other people would say, well, I'm righteous, and therefore I don't need to, to do all these. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to, you know, tell my neighbors about Jesus. I don't need to do this or that. I don't, you know, I can, I can be as free, quote unquote, right, as yeah. I want to be in this area of my life. And the gospel is calling you, no, know, you know, if you love the Lord, you will want to honor the Lord and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, including, you know, how you live your life on a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, and, and just, of course, as a response to Luther, just so, you know, just to kind of make it clear in everybody's heads, you know, the, the church continued to reform. Uh, and so, uh, you know, obviously, after Luther, we see Zwingli coming along and, and you know saying things like i think ministers should be able to marry i don't think and of course that was one of those righteous deeds done if you're going to be in the ministry you shouldn't marry it was it was a it was a thought of righteousness that that really wasn't biblical Uh, and so again the church continued to do that and eventually you know we the church moved forward in a different understanding of baptism i think a more biblical understanding of baptism obviously that we as baptists hold to and and that needs to continue to happen which is why i think Thursday night's conversation is going to be really helpful. The Spotted Cow, it's at my house. Information is on the webpage. It's at 7 p.m. We're talking about a modern day 95 theses. What needs to happen in the church today? What what where does the church need to seek reformation today as led by scripture, as led as in Christ alone, as led by the grace of Christ? God alone, as led through faith alone, and of course, for the glory of God alone. It's going to be a great discussion. Ryan's going to be there. Thanks for joining me, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Jason. This has been a good conversation, and thank you for joining us today as we continue to think through it.